And now these words from the first chapter of Acts, beginning in verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they had entered the city, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. All these were constantly devoting themselves to prayer together with certain women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, as well as his brothers. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be, to, be God. to God. So this morning, we have moved from where we read last week, was which was in chapter 17 of this book of Acts, back to chapter 1. So this is a story when Jesus has been appearing to the disciples soon after the resurrection. Back up in verse 3, where uh, before where we began to read today, Luke, the author of Acts, tells us that Jesus has been appearing to the disciples for 40 days. But these appearances, Luke is telling us, are coming to an end. He says the risen Christ told the disciples he's getting ready to go away. He will be in heaven, but these physical appearances will no longer be available to them. But of course, Luke only knows a three-tiered universe where the earth is flat and there's a dark place underneath and there's a dome above the skies where God lives in glory and light in the heavens above the skies, above the clouds. Luke uses biblical language to tell them about this. We can hear part of that in verse 9. He says, when Jesus had said this to the disciples, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Using a cloud signals the reader that this is the presence of God. Even though unseen by the human eye, the cloud is that signal, that symbol that God is here. It's used often in the Bible. You may remember the story of the Exodus when God is using Moses to lead the people out of Egypt and out of slavery. What does it say? It says they were led by God in a pillar of cloud, right? Or maybe you remember the transfiguration story told in the Gospels where Jesus and three of his disciples go up on a mountain, a little spiritual retreat, a time away, and while they are there, they're consumed or a cloud comes upon them, it says. And guess where the voice comes from? Out of the cloud. It's a divine voice that says to these disciples, this one 
meaning Jesus is the chosen one. Listen to him. Often the cloud is a representation of God's presence or God at work in the world, even though we can't see God with the human eye. Jesus says, as he's getting ready to go, I'm going, but you need, speaking to the disciples, to wait on the Holy Spirit. That's how you're going to experience my presence from now on and henceforth is through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Listen to how Luke tells it in verse 8. The risen Christ is speaking and says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So not only is it a promise of aid and assistance, guidance and strength for living, but it also includes a commission to be witnesses to those around us and to the ends of the earth even. Jesus is saying as the risen Christ that now followers of his disciples will be the ones that will have to enflesh this revelation of divine love coming to the world. Jesus is counting on you and me to be those people who keep his revelation of God's love, forgiveness, and mercy, and grace available to all alive in the world. Some 150 years ago, Western nations decided they needed to go to the continent of Africa to evangelize and Christianize the people there. Some went without much sensitivity. There was really not much known in the Western world about the people or the geography of the different countries in Africa or the peoples who lived there or how they lived. But lots of missionaries went. One of those who went was David Livingstone, spelled just like it sounds, Livingstone. After he was gone for quite a while, Rumors began to spread that he had met his end in some faraway place somewhere on the continent of Africa, and he was now dead. In fact, one newspaper wrote a story claiming that they had evidence that he was dead. There was a rival newspaper man who believed they did not really have evidence, that these really were just rumors. So he wanted to send a reporter, one of his guys, down to Africa to look and see if he could find David Livingstone and prove that his competitor was wrong, therefore embarrass him and outshine him in terms of newspapers and circulation. The guy he found, one of his reporters who was very adventuresome, who had taken on other daring assignments, agreed to go. His name, Henry Stanley. There's an old classic movie, 1939, starring Spencer Tracy as Stanley, called Stanley and Livingstone, that tells part of the story. It's a long story, but basically, Stanley accepts the assignment, runs into all kinds of trouble, becomes personally ill and discouraged, and is on the precipice of defeat when he gets a tip that there is a white man living in a certain village, a man they call Dr. Oh, this rallies Stanley's spirits. He gets up and begins to head toward that village. 
as he's coming upon the village, he sees a white man coming toward him. When they meet one another, he utters what became a fairly famous line in movies and is oft repeated, Dr. Livingstone, I presume. And sure enough, it was David Livingstone. And Stanley stayed with him for months and watched him work among the local people. He could see the love and care and compassion he had for them. Later, Stanley would say that if he would have stayed with Livingstone any longer, he would have been, been compelled to become a Christian, even though Livingstone, Stanley says, never spoke to me personally about that. What a powerful witness. What a living witness another person can see love and action in the flesh from one human being to another. That is the commission for Christians. Live every day like you are a witness. Jesus commissions us to be witnesses, to go into the world and love one another. But in our story today, those first witnesses kind of get caught gazing at where Jesus used to be, and now he is gone. When they're confronted by a question from two messengers from God, asking them why they're standing there. But we can sense what's going on. They're longing for more, just a little more time. Almost all of us who've experienced the death of someone we loved deeply have that feeling if we could just have them for a little longer, if we could just have a little more time. It reminded me as I was thinking about all this of my days in my youth when I used to go to Camp Egan for summer camp with friends from my church, from lots of other churches, and it was a camp full of young people and pastors and adults creating a community that was rooted in love and prayer and worship. Every morning we'd get up and go to worship, begin the day that way. We'd spend time during the day in small groups talking about faith, learning about faith and the Bible, praying together. There was also time for swimming and eating and playing and dancing. And then at the end of every day again, we would worship before going back to our cabins. It was a wonderful experience. The last day of camp was always Friday. I always found myself on that last day wanting just a little bit more. Couldn't we stay just one more day? But of course, if we would have stayed one more, we would have wanted one more and then another. Because when we find that we love something and it's going away, we always want a little bit more. Almost all of us have experienced that. And we've lost someone that we have loved. Often, we don't know what we desire most until it is taken from us. Perhaps you've experienced it in death. But also, many of us have experienced it during this social distancing. Haven't you been missing some things that are now gone, at least temporarily? Maybe forever. It's hard to know what the future will look like. But we miss things when they are taken from us. Well, in verse 11, Jesus 
has been taken from the disciples in a sense and these two messengers from God come and say to them why do you stand looking up toward heaven in other words it's time to move on Jesus is gone he's now in another realm the disciples are left on earth what are they going to do well they go back to Jerusalem and it says they stay together and they pray together all these earliest followers of Christ staying together there in Jerusalem it says they go to the upper room probably the one where they had had communion with Jesus before they get into a daily routine of praying and living together but still no Holy Spirit has come oh they have their experiences with Jesus they have the promises of Jesus but they also have each other this text emphasizes when it begins in verse 6 that they were together then in the very last verse we read Luke says all these were constantly devoting themselves to prayer together with certain women including Mary the mother of Jesus as well as his brothers so this is still a small group the 11 disciples minus Judas Jesus's mother women disciples who also traveled with Jesus and the traveling disciple band and then his human brothers gathered together praying hanging together supporting one another it reminded me of the story about Jesus on his last night on earth before his crucifixion when he's gathered in that same upper room with the disciples you remember they're having this meal together which we now know as the last supper or the Lord's supper before the meal can finish Jesus takes off his outer garments gets a wash basin and begins to wash the feet of those around the table when he gets to Peter Peter protests and said oh no but Jesus talks with him about that and Jesus washes his feet and finishes washing the feet of everyone and then at the end of that he says do you know what I have done for you I've set for you an example that you ought to do for others as I have done to you you should love others as I have loved you then there's the conversation with Judas who's going to betray him and then Judas leaves and then Jesus speaks to the rest of them a little longer it's in chapter 13 of John I want to read you just a couple of sentences key sentences of what Jesus says to them this is verse 34 and 35 in chapter 13 of John Jesus says I give you a new commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you you also should love one another by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another I've put the reminder in your outline love one another do good for one another serve one another meet the needs of those you share life with from day to day it's a commandment from our Lord that we love one another last few weeks I've been dealing with a ruptured disc in my lower back 
I had an, one of these about 15 years ago. On that occasion, I had to have surgery. I'm hoping now with the therapy I'm doing, I will avoid surgery this time and my body will heal. But back all those years ago, I had the surgery. And then after the surgery, they told me I could not go back to work. No physical activity, no standing and lifting or twisting or pushing. I had to be very relaxed, stay at home, take it easy. But it was summertime. My grass was still growing, but I couldn't go out and mow it. One afternoon, I got a call from a guy who lived around the corner in my neighborhood. He was also a member of my church. And he said, I'm going to come mow your grass this afternoon. I protested, but he said, no. When I do mine, I'm going to do yours. I know you're not supposed to be out there mowing, and it's time to mow. What a gracious gesture. Sure enough, a few minutes later, Bob pulls up with his truck and trailer and his mower, and he rolls his mower off. He mows my grass. He does all the edging. It looks beautiful. And Bob came back every 10 days or so for the next six weeks and took care of my yard when I couldn't. It was a great gift to me and my family. But it's not only that Bob was a great example of this. But I want us to notice that it took no specialized skills or academic degree or social stature for him to help me. It only took a willingness to help. Oh, maybe noticing the need of someone around you. Maybe being willing to be used by God. Having a desire to help somebody else out that you share life with at some level. Love one another. Do good to one another. Serve one another. Find a need and meet it for one of your neighbors. That's what the gospel calls us to. That's what's happening in the story in Acts. They are staying together and praying together, preparing to be witnesses empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, next week, we'll read the part of the story, chapter 2 of Luke's, where the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon them. But it hasn't happened yet. For now, simply they are staying together and praying together, and they're in an expectant waiting period. Maybe there's some wisdom for us about what to do in this waiting period in our own lives. After I'd written the sermon... I began to think maybe I'm watching too much TV because I was thinking a couple of weeks ago, I told you about a TV show, and last week I told you about a movie I've watched, and guess what? This week I finished season three of The Crown. And there's one story in there where they get a new priest, a new priest for the palace, for the queen and the royal family. The new priest goes to Philip, the husband of Queen Elizabeth, if you're not watching The Crown, it follows the long reign of Queen Elizabeth of England. So this new priest goes and speaks to Philip, and he says, I've noticed there's all these vacant buildings on the palace grounds. I wonder if I might have one to turn it into a retreat center. Philip is not too keen on the idea, but he finally relents and says, sure, you can have one. So the priest opens it, gets it ready, has Men come. His idea is that he wants to create a retreat place for people who are struggling. Primarily, he's recognized that 
there are a lot of priests who are struggling, many of them men in midlife crisis. They're disillusioned, they're disheartened, they're discouraged, they're depressed, and he thinks he can help. So he invites people to come. And then one day he asks Philip to come and meet some of these men. So Philip shows up. They're having a small group discussion, talking about their struggles. Philip listens impatiently and then finally says, wait a minute. Quit talking about all your struggles and problems. I can solve this for you. Be men of action. Get up. Go back out there and do your job and you'll be fine. Everything will be put aright. And then he leaves. Well, we find out that Philip is in his own midlife crisis. He's struggling. He's trying to be a man of action. Sometime later, he comes back to the circle of men. They're meeting with the priest and tells his story. He said, I've been trying to do what I told you to do, and I have failed. I have failed. I need your help. He's turned to the men of, act, men of prayer to help him when his action had failed him. Sometimes we need people devoted to action, but sometimes we need people devoted to prayer. What time is it for you? Amen.